Art House. Recording. This is Art House. Today we are with Heal Thyself 15. Welcome to the very first, or second, Supercast. Yeah, it, it, I call it the second because yesterday I had a surprise cast with Soul Bra. We just put it together the last minute. Things worked out. So today was supposed to be the first Supercast, but you guys are getting two because I just love you that much more. So... Heal thyself. Do you want me to call you heal thyself, JP? Like what? what just call what? me JP. That's easier to say. Heal yeah, yeah. Is a mouthful, so so he, heal thyself. Fifteen. I need mana. I need. I need. I need backup. <laughs> yeah, JP is fine. All right, cool. <laughs> so JP, first thing I want to talk about is raw milk because you are a proponent of raw milk nationalism and probably raw egg nationalism as well. And I don't. I like. I. I kind of get it. Because, you know, like, questioning everything is kind of in right now, and questioning pasteurization is probably pretty big. But I, at the same time, I don't get it at all. I don't get why the benefits are there compared to pasteurized milk. So, break that down for me, brother. Yeah, you know, you just cut out for a second, so I only caught the end of what you were saying. But raw milk, uh, obviously I'm a big proponent. It's a big part of my feed, and it's gotten very popular. Um, I cannot claim that I was one of the OGs of raw milk. I started drinking raw local milk probably around a year ago um and this was in illinois so it's illegal here so i had to find a guy mm-hmm. and it was actually quite the process um it's like i made the analogy it's like hunting down a drug dealer it's actually harder than that there's so much risk involved and i don't think people realize that for raw milk producers in states that it's illegal um a lot of people go to jail for a long time so I have a lot of respect for those guys because they believe in what they're doing. They don't want to sell pasteurized milk. I think raw milk is great. I'm not going to get into the science and nutrition. And there's accounts out there that are way better for that. Uh, for example, Grimm's Apothecary. He tweets about raw milk a lot. Grimm is the G. Grimm knows everything. It's ridiculous. He tweets, <laughs> he tweets so much shit that I don't understand. I have to Google words every time he tweets. So he's way more knowledgeable about the nutrition of it than I am. So is I'm like I'm gonna eat sp- I'm like I'm gonna eat spinach today and he comes in. Actually spinach is high in oxalates and will kill you in thirty years if you do blah 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 I'm like, okay, alright, alright, not doing that. Exactly. <laughs> he he schooled me quite a few times uh, in a friendly way. I like him a lot and he's very knowledgeable so I appreciate his work. Um, also Veritas Not has a great article on the the great milk pasteurization scam. Hmm. Um so I don't get too much into science. I was really into that when I was first starting. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I just drink because I feel great. I drink probably, I was like a quart of raw milk a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just feel good. So I, I drink, like most people, pasteurized milk growing up. Mm-hmm. And as I got older, um, I got less interested in it because it was kind of, to me, like a childish drink. It made me break out. I thought, I didn't like the effects. It hurt my stomach. I don't think I'm yeah. lactose intolerant per se, but... It didn't sit well with me, mm-hmm. um, and I've had none of those issues with raw milk at all. So I like it. I feel great. Um, I think it's insane that it's illegal, but I'm glad that it's uh, you know gaining popularity, and especially in our Twitter space. I know guys DM yeah. me all the time, like, "Hey man, where can I get raw milk in California?" So <laughs> sprouts, it's cool to see it, uh, sprouts, growing. sprouts. Yeah, sprouts has good stuff. I went there for the first time probably two months ago. I got raw milk, raw cream, and raw kefir, and all of it was great. Yeah. Yeah, they they have it's it's ridiculous how Sprouts has that. There's also a store uh, Lazy Acres. There's a, there's a few of them. Lazy Acres has it. It's a really good uh, you know, like a health boutique 
grocery store, although it's massive. Um, but yeah, I've tried raw milk, and the f- I've had two. I've had it twice. The first gallon I've had was really good. I didn't taste the difference between that and pasteurized milk, but I was like, this is really good. It's expensive, but it's really good. The second time I had it, it was bad, and I think I just got a bad one. But I was not. It was it had a weird taste, and it. It was from the store. Yeah, it, it was from Sprouts, same brand, and it got rancid really quickly. So I think that was just a bad batch. I'm not gonna hold it against it. What I've started doing recently is drinking goat milk, and goat milk is great. I've gotten local pasteurized goat milk in Northern California. Goat milk um, is insane. Very I'm, good. I'm very good. blown away by by goat milk because at first I thought it was gonna have a strange taste, and I was kind of I know I drink cow's milk all my life, but it just started make, making me break break out, just getting fat and bloated and gross feeling. Yeah, it, it bloats people for sure. Yeah, goat kefir is also very good. Mm-hmm. You'll get a chance to try that. I've I've tried I've tried yeah I've tried kefir and I like it. I like it. I think I should drink it more consistently, but I do like it. Um, but I've started putting goat milk in everything, like my shakes, just drinking it with every meal, and I, I have no reaction to it whatsoever. Nothing. I think it's better for us, too. I've read that it's closer to mm-hmm. human milk, like, chemically. I'm gonna butcher it, but, yeah, there's, there's a casein protein inside of it that digests much better with humans. And then I, I watched a video, and it was, it was benefits of goat milk, and it was just this woman... In a barn with her hugging her goat, and she's all smiley, and she's like, 10 reasons why goat milk is better. And then she just goes through and just destroys cow milk, and I'm never going to drink it again, because... she She's the person you want to listen to for health advice. Yeah. Like old babushka woman. Yes. In her 80s, but she's still working out, she's still spry, she's milking the goats every morning. Yes. I trust her. I, I, I trust her more than 40-year-old obese, sickly doctor giving me pills. Absolutely. Now, are you part of, are you you doing raw egg nationalism too? I do the raw egg thing. Um, I have a hard time just slurping them down, or slonking them down, excuse me. I do them in shakes. Uh, So I'll do two and a half cups of raw milk. I'll do six raw eggs. And then I'll add a little bit of cacao for flavor. And it's pretty good, actually. put a lot of cacao in. I put some honey in for sweetness. Um, I like it. Now, yeah, I have a hard time just yeah. taking eggs raw. <laughs> yeah, I've I've noticed like so last night I, I went downstairs and I realized like, all right, I don't have any. I, I can't make a protein shake right now because I'd have to just mix it mix it in water and I'm not gonna do that. I have like nothing no no like meat protein right now. So I I, I grabbed some eggs. I didn't want to cook them and I just put it. I, I read somewhere I think Grim said like put it in orange juice. I didn't have orange juice, so I had this orange peach mango like cocktail thing. I poured it in that. I put four eggs in there, and I made this little drink. And I was just sitting in my kitchen late at night, like, "Why am I doing this?" Like, was it good? I mean, like, what was like, like, it was mango, it orange rye. It was good. Like, you don't really taste the egg. That's the thing. You don't. Was I, it you blended? Th- I just put it in a cup and did it with a spoon like this. Okay. Um, I pro- if I blended it, it probably would have been like way better. But I, what what happened immediately after was my stomach started to hurt, and I didn't really have a bad reaction past that. But I realized that that's happened to me twice now with raw eggs, 
and maybe I should just not do that, because I, I eat cooked eggs all the time, every single day, loads of cooked eggs, but raw eggs just don't, don't sit with me well. Yeah, I've had the same experience, it makes me have to go to the bathroom, <laughs> Yeah, a lot of them, so I, I've had like eight in one sitting before, and I'm like, oh shit, I gotta go. So, I, I legitimately I would, think I would not do that before like going out in public or Oh no 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 <laughs> I legitimately think like the guys are like I drink twenty four raw eggs like no no you don't <laughs> I don't know I actually I, you, you, you I think, think so guys might be doing that. You think I so think the raw, I think raw egg nationalism is real. I think guys are really pounding that many eggs. Oh I'm I um, doubt I doubt I, I don't doubt that raw egg nationalism is real. I think that you know like twenty four eggs for one you know, there's that there's that quote that was going around you probably saw it it was a picture of a bodybuilder vince is this Garanda. vince Garanda? the yeah that like thing 36 raw eggs a day is the same as the cycle of diana ball <laughs> i think that is, that made me want to do 36 raw eggs a day so i think guys are really doing it and that's an awesome i don't know who tweeted that but that's a fucking awesome tweet i i want to if that was true like they should they should honestly honestly here's the thing Bro science, I, 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 I tend to believe bro science more than I believe real science because it's much easier to just go out and replicate and see for yourself. But there has to be a company called like Bro Science Inc. or something like that where they actually do like like good, you know, structured, double-blind, scientific tests for these bro science memes and confirm them, you know? Done by like the, real. I think the Bro Science Network is decentralized. It's everybody, all the bros on the internet, are contributing to the Bro Science community. Crowdfunded that. I, <laughs> I agree with you. Bro Science is twenty plus years ahead of peer reviewed science. Like, what if we just had what? What if like we just make a site? It's like hypothesis: raw eggs boost testosterone, and then you just hot, you just get like a thousand guys to just drink ten raw eggs a day, and then you just measure their tests before and after and then scientists would be like but the method's wrong but this but that but that you know if it was actually good for us it'd be covered up yeah they would lie about it they would you know pervert it somehow and make it a a half truth so that's what i've noticed so much (laughs) is that so so much is just it's so much is perverted you know (laughs) So much is perverted. Cortez had a tweet the other day where, where he was looking at the totality of modern health advice, and it just makes no sense at all. It makes no sense. I think there's so many interests uh, financially that it's so hard to know what to trust on the internet. Like raw milk, for example. You can find people like us, like me, like farmers, saying that it's phenomenal, it's amazing, mm-hmm. makes me feel great. Other people are you know, convinced it'll give you diseases, it's dangerous, and that goes for everything, from raw milk to cigarettes to whatever. Um, You can find an argument that supports whatever you believe on the internet. I think it's very hard for people to discern what's true and what's not true. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially if they're not actively trying. Yeah, exactly. If they're not actively trying things themselves, using having an N, N equals one mindset, they're... You know, you're just you're doomed to literally just be wading through arguments and counter arguments the rest of your life. Totally, and everything is n equals one. You know, you have to experiment on yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to give things a try. I think 
trusting people on the internet. There's so many people that write reviews on things, YouTubers write reviews on supplements, products. I think more often than not, you're better off just trying it. Obviously be smart. Don't do stupid things or things that are clearly um, not good for you. But yeah, we are not advocating that you drink bleach. We are not advocating that you drink bleach here. Yeah, no bleach, but I think there's a lot of alternative health methods that are, you know, covered up for financial reasons primarily. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely, yeah. You know, just trace the source. Trace the source. Who, who's paying who to say what? You know, there's always exactly. incentives. This whole the whole game is incentives at the end of the day, and you got to figure out. And uh, honestly, too, a lot of like the, uh, you know, the the alternative health, esoteric health people, like they have incentives too. Like they have their own things they want to sell. They have their own like cures they want to push and whatnot so you have to just be Absolutely. you have to double check everything even if it is a trusted source like even when Grimm says something i like mostly take his word but i also do some research myself to be like because i'm just more interested in like seeing you know like seeing the see the actual data of how it works and seeing some other like backup science to what he's saying and then and then i confirm it for myself and then you learn absolutely as it should be yeah it should verify everything yeah you do a lot of people just they just take in they just take it in but they don't th they don't think about it and they don't try to go out and disprove it which i think is an issue right, right. A, a lot of conspiracy stuff you know and a lot of like esoteric stuff they'll be like this is happening definitely and then you read it and you're like okay this is happening but you don't go wait does this person have an agenda what is this person's track record right where, where, where is this person getting the information? You know, there's so many nuances that you have to, you have to fully break down that, you know, you know, the internet's great. It's a great wealth source of information, but there's way more shit than there is shine. <laughs> You're totally right. I think ultimately though, there's so many topics, one, and also two, like sources of information on those topics that if you try and weigh everything, Mm -hmm. it's just information overload so at the end of the day you have to take a stand and you know i think be firm in what you believe in terms of health you know your worldview mm -hmm. religion or whatever and then adjust as new data comes out as you change as a person mm -hmm. um but i think there's there's so many there's so much nuance to all of these topics that i'd yeah. rather just take a stand and say okay if i'm slightly wrong here or there i don't really care yeah Ed Lattimore said it, hold strong opinions extremely loosely because then you're like oriented, right? You're oriented because if you hold weak opinions and like you're just loosey-goosey, but if you hold strong opinions on how the world works, but you're totally open to having things change, you're totally open to being completely wrong in everything, then you win both ways. You're, you're oriented and you're flexible. I think it's very well said by Ed. Totally. Yeah. You, you want to be like a river, right? The river is not a straight line. A river has bends. A river has curves and whatnot. A river speeds up in some areas. It slows down in other areas. You got to be able to go with the flow. Now, we talked about diet right there for a bit. Do you do you have any, like, uh, are, you, are you pretty standard with your training in terms of going to the gym? Or are you, like, a, do you have a bit more esoteric edge to that? <laughs> No, I'm pretty standard, especially right now. Like my workouts consist of sprints and like body weight workouts in the house. I did get 
like a little home gym system with resistance bands. Mm -hmm. Still TBD if I like it, but it's doing the job for now. Mm. Um, I mean, historically in my life, I've always been an athlete. So I was a sprinter in high school and college, and I played football as well. Mm. So really just lifting and running were my two things. Um, I got into mixed martial arts a little bit in college per the advice of people on Twitter. I'm like, dude, all my friends are doing mixed martial arts. I had some buddies in college doing it. Um, so I joined a jujitsu gym that was like a hole in the wall place in St. Louis ran by some ex UFC fighter. It was really cool. It was like 50 bucks a month. It was dirt cheap. It was good training. There were some cool guys there. Yeah. I did it. I did it for like four months. Um, and I was okay, but then I moved to Europe for a while. I just stopped. Um, so my training's been since graduating high school and like kind of in and out of sports, trying to figure out like, what am I going to do now that I'm not like on a team. I was on a collegiate team for a while and it was like organized workouts, but now mm -hmm. I'm just standard lifting, running. Um, I'm big into like saunas. I actually have a sauna in my house to try and use every day. Mm. Um, really? So, yeah. How sauna? I do. So I'm actually, I'm at home with my parents right now for yeah. the duration of quarantine and they got a sauna. It's not that expensive. It's a one person sauna. I think it was like three or four grand uh, back when I was in, I think in high school. So it's lasted a long time and it's awesome. Um, wow. It's not quite as effective as like a charcoal sauna that gets up to like 180, 190. I mean, if I'm sitting in one of those, I can last like maybe 20 minutes before I'm like, shit, I gotta get out. With one of these, I can do like 40 minutes and I go in there, there's a light, I, I can read uh, pretty comfortably. I listen to podcasts and I break a good sweat and then I take a cold shower and it's, it's nice to have that in the house. Dude, that sounds sick. That legitimately sounds sick. So you, are you a guy that does like the, uh, the Joe Rogan, like 230 degree, like hardcore sessions, or do you kind of like, do, do you prefer the, uh, do you prefer, do you prefer to be in there longer at a slightly lower heat or do you prefer to like try to max yourself out every time? You know, it, it maxes out pretty low. This one gets up to 140, which is not that hot. Yeah. It's infrared. Oh, yeah. Um, oh okay. Infrared sauna. Yeah. So I, I do do the ball tanning exercise. I'm not sure if that boosts tea or not, but I try it regardless. Red light therapy is apparently amazing, so. Well, I've been doing it. So I go in there and I stand next to the light. So we'll see. That's N equals one study on myself right now. Hey, N equals one right there. Perfect, uh, <laughs> perfect implementation. Um, Regarding the extreme temperatures, I've never had the opportunity to do a sauna that hot. I think the hottest I've ever been in is like 190. Mm -hmm. uh, the cold therapy stuff, I'm interested in doing the cryo tanks where they go like minus 250 or whatever. Mm -hmm. I've never done that, but I'm certainly interested in doing it. It sounds it sounds cool as long as it's safe. I think it'd be cool to try. Yeah. My uh, my girlfriend, actually, she just got a job working with the uh, these cryo people. Like they're doing... Um like cryotherapy with they have like a gun that you can like shoot and burn off fat and then uh you go in a tank and you basically it just, just all, all inflammation just goes away i've tried it once it's pretty legit i'm sure it's a good industry to be in like I, I from what i understand a lot of professional athletes are getting involved with that oh i'm sure collegiate athletes well that's gonna be i think that's gonna be the future it's gonna be the next big thing and i already think just from anecdotal evidence and just from seeing pictures and from trying it myself like it's not one of those weird like bunk science things that is gonna peak for like a year and then go back down i legitimately think it's gonna be like a staple because the machines are just gonna get cheaper from here on out and it's gonna be in every 
uh, athletic company's best interest or every you know strength and conditioning coach's best interest just after the workouts just go in there for two minutes so you liked it you still benefits from it yes yes definitely it's like it's like a really high like how i how i would describe it is it's like a really high dose of collagen but like and like very evenly distributed throughout your body like all the weird tension like you can kind of see like this trap is tighter than this one like all that just felt so much looser knees ankles joint all that just felt super lubricated and like there was no issues my shoulder is usually pretty bad and that was perfect it was it was it was pretty crazy what's the duration like is it like 10 minutes or something five minutes it was only a few minutes it was like three two or three maybe it was wow, not that crazy. it was not that long yeah and the uh the other thing that they're doing at this place is uh, the tech, the tech wasn't explained to me yet because they don't have, they don't have it yet, but it's like a thing that you wrap around, you wrap around your, uh, you know, whatever part of the muscle you want to work and you just do like a really basic motion like this. Like you just do a wrist curl. You like wrap it around your bicep right here and you just do a wrist curl and you're, you're stopping the blood flow. So eventually it gets really, really, really hard to do that. And then apparently you take it off and the hypertrophy is just insane from that. Is it for muscle growth or recovery or what it's it's for muscle growth yeah it's for like hacking hacking that process i don't know if it's gonna work okay i haven't seen it done but you know if it does work then sign me the fuck up (laughs) yeah me too that sounds cool i'm sure there's gonna be so many biohacking things that come out in the next 10 15 20 years it's gonna be amazing the opportunities for people in first world countries and people with money i think is gonna be amazing biohacking is gonna be it's going to be the next next big thing. Totally agree. Um, there's just... Like, we're starting to see, like, the beginnings of, like, you know... of We have, like, the, the foundation down of, like, we can do anything with this mindset. Like, David Goggins, Jocko Willink, and whatnot. And then we have kind of the more... The fringe health with, like, Ben Greenfield and whatnot. And now I think... He's I, I like him. Yeah. No, he's cool. And now, like, I think things like breath work. I think things like... Um, like this cold therapy we've been talking about, saunas, you know, swimming, like cold showers, like things like that. It's going it, to like in the next five, 10, 15 years, that's going to be like legit therapy health advice. I absolutely agree. I think more and more Americans and people globally are waking up to the scam that has been big pharma and just general health advice is awful, be it diet or exercise. There's so many yeah. ways to improve your health. Like sauna, for example, is cheap. There's a, a quote or an old proverb that says the sauna is the poor man's pharmacy. And that's so true. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get a gym membership for cheap, hit the sauna every day. It's phenomenal for cardiovascular health, skin health. Um, I notice a, a difference in my skin right away. When I do saunas every single day, I'm sweating. So mm. I'm really You know, that's interesting. That's interesting. You know, I, yeah, yeah. It just made me think, like, what, like, what if sweating is really good for your skin? You know, like, what if, what if releasing? Obviously, I'm just talking completely out of my big ass right here. But what if sweating is like really good for your skin? And the fact that we're inside, we're not exposed to the sun, and we're not sweating, is is bad. Is 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 hurting our hurting our skin health. I'm positive is that. I mean, the fact that a lot of people don't have their system flushing out 
toxins and debris that gets stuck in their skin. I'm sure it affects people's like their visible skin, but also their internal health that things are not flushing through properly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how I kind of think of the, the sauna is it's like the detoxer. You just sweat out everything. Like there has to be, there has to be something, something to it. Absolutely. How long, so how long have you been like, how long have you had your training like locked in? So like your, your diet, your, your exercise and your, you know, your recovery. I think it's been a, I mean, it's been a work in progress for years. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say I'm necessarily locked in right now. It's still evolving and there's things that I want to incorporate more into my workouts and my routine. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, like I said, my, my workouts have evolved as I've gotten older and now I'm gravitating more towards weightlifting. Um, not necessarily for, I did it before for football to bulk. Mm -hmm. Now it's more for just general health and aesthetics. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's continually a work in progress. It's constantly changing. Um, right now I keep things very basic. You know, I'll do one or two days a week. I'll do sprints. I'm not big into jogging. I might jog a mile. Mm -hmm. Um, and cardio, I prefer to do, I used to do boxing mm -hmm. and I did mu Muay Thai for a little bit too. I prefer doing that or like real sports, like basketball. Yeah. I do not want to jog on a fucking treadmill for an hour. Yeah. Um, and all respect to David Goggins, who is definitely an OG, but I have no desire to get on a track and run, you know, I, like 25 well, miles or something. Yeah, I mean, part, part of Goggins' shtick is that it's like, it's like self-immolation. Like, he hates that part of himself. He hates that weakness so much that he's going to, he's going to live his life around killing that weakness. And, like, I, I just, I just can't, I, I'm not going to run that much. I'm not going to run that much. Running to me is not how I want to spend my life at all. I agree. And I also do kind of respect, I respect his attitude a lot, actually. I know he said things like, I did this exercise and it sucked, so I did it for three more hours. I'm like, dude, that's crazy. Um, but I respect the fact that he's like, I'm going to kill that weakness inside of me. That's a good attitude. Yeah. I think he takes it, obviously, to an extreme that 99% of people can't handle and don't want to yeah, it's good for him. Yeah, like the principle itself is sound, but I think from like obviously from but but he's a, he's an extreme figure, extreme. He is the extreme, and most of us are not the extreme in that field, right? So we should take right. the principle, but we don't necessarily need to go all that way. I think guys like him and Jocko are a phenomenal testament to what's possible in terms of like willpower mm -hmm. and leadership. Um, and they're phenomenal to learn from. Even if you want to live, uh, I would say, a less stoic life. They're very stoic guys. I don't think they indulge very often. I don't imagine Jocko and David going out, like, drinking with the boys or having a good night out. So you need to, you need to pick and choose what you do. And um, I think life, you should be enjoying things probably more than they are. But the, to each their own. The, the, one of the things I remember with Jock, I think it was last... Last Christmas, it was 20, Christmas of 2019, he, or Christmas of 2018, he was like, he was like, tonight I had 20 Christmas cookies, and then he's like, today I will kill my body, and he's just staring into the camera, and he's like, today, heavy squats to punish myself, <laughs> like, jeez. It's funny, but I think he's being dead serious. Attack oh, he is, he is, he's 100% he's dead serious. Have you, um, do you watch his podcast? Listen to it. 
I used to quite a bit. I've kind of fallen off on podcasts recently. I used to listen to his podcast, Joe's, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, I have not done. Yeah, I, Joe's is, to me, Joe's is boring unless there's an MMA guy on or like somebody I already kind of know. I don't really care. Like when there's a comedian on, I just don't, I don't care at all or something like that. But right, you gotta pick and choose who you listen to. I I find Jocko Jocko's cast I think is way better overall, in terms of like the information and kind of the the value you can get from listening to it. Yeah, I'm sure I haven't listened to him in probably two years. So I can't okay, comment on any of his recent guests. Um, yeah, he's he, when he has a guest, he's good. When he's off a guest and he's just reading something, that's great too. Um. I think the thing with his his brand too is that like the clips that you can get on his site, like just like the little 15, 15 minute parts of his cast, like those are those are all you need to listen to. When those are edited really well, those pump me up for sure. Yeah, like video edits of him, like he's an inspiring guy. Uh huh, big time. He and the 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 first thing that I realized with Jocko, or the first thing that made me realize that this guy's insane, is. I was listening to one of his, uh, I, I started, he was on Joe Rogan, I listened to that, I was like, oh cool, Navy SEAL guy, oh he lives kind of close to me, oh that's kind of cool. I went on his po- podcast and the first thing he starts talking about is like these, is these death squats. And it's where, it's where you do, you f- you find your 10 rep max and you do it for 20. And I, w- I was like, what? And he's like, he, and he was talking about, he, like when you hit the 10, the pain is so immense, and then you all you have to know is that that's only halfway done, and you have to keep going forward. And it just made me realize, like, wow, humans can do way more, way more than what we're conditioned to think. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a cool mental exercise to say, okay, this is what I think I can do. This is what I can actually do. This is what I will do. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Do you... Um, so wait, you you said you were doing uh you did MMA for a bit, right? I've done it sporadically. So I did jujitsu and boxing in college for four or five months, mm-hmm. and then I moved to Europe. And I was traveling, and I was having a good time, and I, I wasn't really yeah. into it. And that was six months, and then I got back to the states. Um, I did Muay Thai for probably two or three months, and I was into it. And then I moved again. Um, and I've been waiting to pick it back up. I need to be more consistent. My problem right now is consistency and just mm-hmm. finding a good gym that I like and going on a regular basis. Yeah, my my yeah. my gym shut down right now because uh, you know the Rona thing, obviously. Um, I, I I started kickboxing in January, and I love it. It's so sick. It's absolutely. So are you like are you sparring with people, or is it just like bag work, or what exactly? Um, right now it's just bag work because like. They don't want to throw me in with someone, and either I get hurt or I just do something wild as fuck, and then just break something, you know. Right. So, right, they they want you to learn the uh, which I think is smart. Like they want you to learn the 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 fundamentals for six months, and then you can start getting whacked on. Um, it was between either that or jujitsu, and I was like, you know, I want to get punched in the face, so I want to. You do, want to get punched in the face. I want to get punched in the face, so. You want to feel alive. I like that. Yeah, well, I haven't gotten punched in the face very much, especially as a kid. So I want to get punched in the face and beat to absolute crap and then, you know, learn from it and then beat them to absolute crap. I think it's a good experience. I remember Logo on, on your podcast, he said something like the problem with Americans is that 
nobody's gotten punched in the face. Yeah, yeah, that, that's <laughs> that's pretty key. There's no there's no there's no reason to right now, and that's a problem. There's no like nobody has a backbone. There's nothing to to dispute about. You know, that's not like you know lo- local issues. You can't really deal. You know, you can't you can't duel people, right? You can't duel people. I think it's an issue. And I was talking with you know mimetic value. Uh, I do not. Okay. Maybe I do. I'm not sure. Yeah, you, you might see him. He's he's on here every once in a while. On he's on Twitter too. We're we're in a group chat. Um, he was talking about how we were talking about duels, and we were thinking like, duel doesn't necessarily mean duel to the death. Duel can just mean like you have a pro. I have a problem. You have a problem. Let's solve this by fighting, and then whatever happens with that, okay, cool, things resolved. And I think that's how men naturally resolve conflicts oftentimes, which I think is healthy. Yep, totally. Like, you, you know, you get in a fight, and then right after, you, you're like, all right, cool, bro. Thanks. Yeah, see you around, bro. Like, and all the anger's just gone. Yeah. Yeah, I've gotten punched in the face from friends before for being a dick, and I think it made us closer, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because well, so, you, you realize right off the bat, like, okay, that was, that was too far, and you readjust. You know, you readjust your, your mental model, how you need to interact with these people and, you know, how you need to carry yourself. And then you're not, you're not mad at them. Like, I think a lot of people, like, especially if you've, if you're in like, if you're in like the feminized, uh, public schooling, you're taught to like, to either tell the teacher or like use, use your words. Right. And there's a place for that, but there's also, it, it completely disregards, you know, the boy's natural way of dealing with a problem. Absolutely, and I think you made a good point that feminized public schooling, the school system is not in any way designed for boys in terms of how they learn and also how they deal with conflicts. Yeah. I think I think what you and, again, like what you and Lobo were saying about all-male education, being around all males is a red-pilling experience. I think the last um, experience for young men in America today is either high school sports mm-hmm. to some degree – college fraternities and like joining an MMA gym. Yeah. There's very, maybe the army, I don't know, but there's very few opportunities for men just to be on other guys and to shit talk and beat each other up and drink together. Mm -hmm. That is a naturally red pilling experience and public schools don't have that. So I think a lot of boys are feminized. You know, I think, um, yeah, I, I totally agree. They're just not exposed to natural male order. I think if kids, if there was segregated schooling until, like, the last two years of high school, I think that could be cool. Because I, 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 I understand where Lobo's coming from. And he obviously he's much smarter than me and has much more life experience. So my word is nothing compared to his. But I think that if you, like, you keep boys away and then if you, if you reintroduce them into the real world, like, with girls, I think that, that could work. And they could find, you know, they could they could socialize really quickly and they could find wives. But I think if you throw them in the high school environment with girls that the last two years, like the the shape the the psychological shaping that both of those groups will go through the last two years before they head off to college and their job will be ridiculous because the girls would be like, holy shit, like real men. And then the, the guys would be like, OK, women, finally. Like, and then, you know, 
since they've they haven't grown up side by side with them and forced to you know coexist constantly and like reduce themselves then you know like the interactions will be a lot more healthy a lot more natural and a lot a lot better overall you absolutely nailed it i think that it's one it's very hard to work in like the school environment when it's co-ed it becomes a social game uh, especially in high school i mean those years everyone's horny as fuck guys cannot focus in school so if you had a school system where you know guys are focused on actually learning you know improving themselves as young men physically in sports or whatever and then on the weekends focusing on other things i'm not saying i don't know if all male schools is the option i didn't go to an all male school but yeah, looking back i can totally see how that's problematic mm-hmm. um you know, it's, it's, it changes everything, it changes the dynamic because everyone is thinking about sex, you know, it's always on people's minds. That's the problem. That is the, and then the thing is too, is that the, the chance of sex is so much more enticing than caring about this horrid schoolwork that you have to deal with, that there's just no, there's no point. You either become like a super mega nerd and you become asexual or you become like, you know, you, 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 you're, you're not as plugged into uh, the process of learning as you could be. And then, right, and then they blame the boys for it, too. They think it's, like, the boys' problem. It's natural for, when you're 16, 17, 18, you're out a bunch of young, cute girls. How the fuck can you focus? Yeah. So it's, it's not at all the guy's fault. It's natural, and it's just something that needs to be understood and not demonized, which yeah. is what we're doing now. Like, they demonize young boys in schools who are dealing with, you know, tons of sexual energy how yeah. the fuck do you deal with that and, and then, then like and then what what happens too is like the, the 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 nice kid right the nice boy whatever you call it like i was one of those nice boys right 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 they and i can tell you directly from experience like you see the you see the guy that gets c's right and you see the guy that like doesn't really care about school but he's always with the popular girls he's always with the hot girls right and you know you just see that res- and then you just build up resentment you just build up resentment and then you have a bunch of guys that you know think that life is over because you know they couldn't they couldn't get with a girl in high school and then they just the resentment just keeps building and just keeps building absolutely and i think it's a tra- like you said it's a traumatic experience for guys you know it is like almost like a death type thing because your existence is like being rejected Mm-hmm. all these other guys you see them with beautiful girls you know you're at that age and you're like fuck why does anybody want me mm-hmm. so it's a very painful experience that's the whole incel thing that people on the internet keep talking about and i think it has to be dealt with and i think the way to do it is you know one get red pilled and then start improving yourself you know yeah. work on your body work on your game work on all those things uh, to become desirable. And at the end of the day, maybe girls are the motivation to begin with, but it should be about, in my opinion, like a spiritual journey. Like I'm going to become the best person I can be for me and getting girls, getting money. Those are things that are, you know, physical manifestations of my journey as a better person. Well, I think that, yeah, I told, I, I think that boys are just underworked right now. Like we're not growing up. There was nothing for me to do, like there was no, there was like, and that's probably more of my parents' fault. But like, there were no tasks, especially if you're not in sports. Like, there's nothing for you to do except just play video games and like fuck around. 
Right. We have the internet as a babysitter all the time now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it's a lot of it's on the parents. And I think a lot of it falls on the males, the fathers, because they need to be the leaders. But it's been passed down through generations. So the kids our age, young adults our age and older probably didn't learn from their dads how to be good dads. You know, mm-hmm. there's a verse in the Bible where it says, like, the sins of the father are passed down. Yes. I think that's what we're seeing, like, negligence, um from males just culturally is being passed down and now we're seeing issues with the family and you know cultural issues because of that weak males right 100 percent. we see those yeah there's just there's a swath of weak men now and that, and that it, the, the sad part is it could have been fixed so easily it could have been fixed so easily just with some different schooling and just some some introspection from the parents themselves all of it could have been fixed. Yeah, I think there are some easy fixes to put in place. I always felt from a young age that, you know, we're lacking rites of passage. You know, when I learned about mm-hmm. other cultures, specifically indigenous cultures, as a kid, I saw that everybody had rites of passage for their young boys, and they were doing yeah. way harder shit at a younger age. Like, the ancient Greeks were putting their eight-year-old, nine-year-old boys through really intense training and leaving them out in the wilderness, fending for themselves, and now we have guys who are 23, 24, playing video games, living at their parents' house, and the expectations have just dropped so dramatically. A Spartan 13-year-old could rip the eye sockets out of any 30-year-old male in America right now, easily. Those kids were savages. I mean, they tra- I forget the name of the uh, the training program that they would go through, but it was brutal. And a lot of I think a lot of kids died because it was a way to cull the herd and like, eliminate weakness. Mm-hmm. And it worked. Yeah. And I'll, like, I'm not saying we should do that, but yeah. to some degree we need to. Yeah, yeah, like, like there was a there was a brutality, like a, it's a soft eugenics in that that probably like could be debatably good or bad. But the essence of that, where they're they're challenged, you know, from an early age, they're challenged hardcore, and they grow up way faster. Like a a 14 year old in even like 1900. It was way, way more developed, way more polite, way more, you know, mature than a 25-year-old today. We've lowered the bar so much. You're right. You look at these historical figures who you think were, you know, way older and mature. and You know, they've already done all this stuff. Like Alexander, he conquered the world. He was like, what, 24? Napoleon was, I don't know, 25. These were young guys. Mm-hmm. And they were doing you know, huge things, leading lots of people. And today we set the standards for our teens and 20s so low. So I think it's up to us to fix that. And the way to do it is through communities of boys. Um, I think that, you know, college fraternity system does that to a decent degree. You know, the hazing process, I don't know if you were in a frat. Um, I uh, dropped out college. Okay. Okay. Good for you. I think college is a big scam. So I don't think that's a bad decision at all. But I do think the fraternity system for boys is a good experience for them to, one, get closer as men and understand that, you know, going through adversity with other guys is a great mm-hmm. way to get closer. Do you think college is kind of a clusterfuck, though, in terms of, like, h- how it's organized? Because, like, looking in, totally. like, like looking in, I see how, like, from, if, if you're in college, like, it's so sick how you can have these massive parties and have all these girls and guys together and you're all like attractive and horny. Like I get how that can be cool, 
But at the same time, like after four years of that, like what what is the person coming out on the other side? Like what does that do? What does that do to people? I think it leaves a lot of people with emotional problems and addictions. They didn't really do anything. Like they have BS majors, they partied a bunch, they blew a bunch of money, now they have addictions and other issues. I think if you're smart, you do make connections and you meet good people. Um, I think about it fairly often. Like, was it worth going to college? I did go to four years of college. I'm done now. But I met some great people. I made some good connections. I'm happy that I went personally. But I'm not sure that I would advise, you know, kids in high school right now to go. Well, tuitions, Um, from when you 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 got out to now, tuitions probably have gone up like 30%. Well, I'm only 22, so I don't I don't know if it's that much. I graduated a year ago. Oh, okay. Well, let's put it like so. To today or yesterday, I, I read a stat that University of Pittsburgh, due to this, their tuition went up 15 percent for 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 fall. Yeah, that's insane. So, but they know people will pay. Yeah, yeah, which is whack. So whack. Via loans, yeah. I mean, people are basically enslaving themselves. I graduated college, I'll be honest, with a shit ton of debt. And when I, I came back, I was in Europe when I graduated. Mm-hmm. I My last semester was in Spain. I came back and I was working, you know, you talk about wage slave jobs. I was working the shittiest BS office job in Chicago. And I was miserable. And I, was, I had all this fucking debt. All my, my boys are gone. There's no frat to hang out with. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate my life. That... A lot of people... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Keep Everyone going. I have a point. It's fucking yeah. terrible, and I, I found a way out. Mm-hmm. Um, I did, you know, and that's a different story. But I think a lot of people end up in that situation, and they're like, "Fuck, what do I do now? I spent four years partying. Now I have a job I hate, and I was dead. What do I do?" Uh, I was. T- do you remember Stud? The, the uh, anon- I don't know. Maybe a non account. <laughs> okay. L- long way back, but anyway, I think he just he just deleted his account like a month ago. Anyway. Stud and I were talking about about college and how, like, psychologically, we're, we're, we're thinking of it like this. Like, you go to college, and you experience so much unbelievable hedonism and a lack of responsibility that, it like, those four years, they change your mind of how, like, how life is going to be and, like, all the, the highs and the pleasures and whatnot. And you get out of college, and the first thing you do is get to this, like, wage-slave chill like horrid job everybody's gone you're working you know 60 out 40 60 hours a week or whatever and all those all those highs just disappear all those you know all those amazing moments all that all that hedonism just goes away in an instant and then now the only thing you have looking forward to is the weekend where you can finally relive a bit of that college experience well i can get i can i can drink again oh i can i can get some with some people again oh i can get, I can get on tinder again right that's how it is for so many people, dude. Totally. It's like, you know, their lives are... You, you come out of college into this much less interesting real world. Reality slaps you in the face that you've kind of been living in like a fantasy for the past four years. And now you have to take control of things. But a lot of people just don't. They just let it happen. I mean, it's like crippling. It's like, okay, what do I do? I took a major that didn't give me many options. Mm-hmm. You know, I have this job that pays 50 or 60 grand a year and I've got hundred grand in debt. You know, you're, you're basically trapped. Like I think so many kids, one have no idea how to take an entrepreneurial risk at that point. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean that, that is a massive risk because you have all this debt you have to service. You have to pay this shit off. So yeah. it's a horrible situation to be in. I think kids get FOMO because they see everyone going to college 
when they're 18. It's, I mean, it is obviously fun, depending on where you go. Mm. Um, and there is a lot of hedonism, so you get sucked into going. My two buddies went to Chapman University, and they have like, and there's like, I don't, I don't know where the website was. It was like the hottest girls in college or something. And Chapman's number one, so they're going off. Good for them. I mean, that's not a bad metric to base your school choice off of. Not honestly, not really, <laughs> not really. Like, Classes are mostly a waste of time. Yeah. I went to a, a top twenty U.S. university. It was a good school, and I was a STEM major. And still, I don't use any of the shit today. It wasn't really helpful, but I, you know, I was a statistics major and did all this stuff that was seemingly important, and you know, <laughs> seemingly important for light, quote unquote, credentials and all that shit. But now I'm looking back, like, what was the fucking point? I made good connections. Um, a lot of my frat bros are still good friends and have hooked me up with good business opportunities. But in terms of the actual class experience, it's it's a waste. It's sure. very overrated in that regard. I hear a lot of people. Right. I hear a lot of people with the same opinions that, like the actual college, ex, the college experience in quotes, is very overrated. It's more about it's more about like if you use it, if you have to go to college, like you go in there, try to get as fast as you can with as little as debt, and try to make as many high level connections as you possibly can. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And if you can, like, study abroad, I would do that. It's a great experience. Yeah, that's, that's um, you know. It's a way to meet, meet foreign people. Like, I studied abroad in Madrid. I, I went alone. I had no friends. I met tons of people from all over the world. That was really my first experience internationally Yeah. solo. So I'm very happy I had that experience for a semester. That was really cool. You know, see, something like that, see, that's, like, the one benefit I could see of college is if you're able to study abroad because you're kind of able to go to – a, um, you're able to go to a completely new place and, but you, but you're still like, you know, you still have the routine of the school. So it's not like dropping everything and going out there completely alone with nothing. You still have like the, the, the routine and the connection to school, but you're able to experience a completely new culture, completely new city, all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's an added element of safety with a university. Like I went alone, uh, my semester, but you know, if I went to Europe alone, normally there would be no one to like you know be there for me if shit hit the fan mm -hmm. like my parents weren't there i didn't know anybody mm -hmm. um so having like a school system to kind of back me up like okay i actually got you know i lived with a family mm -hmm. in spain mm -hmm. and they had two sons around my age who were just total degenerates like the parents would leave these kids would be drinking and smoking with like their sketchy friends and it turned out that we had like a huge fight one day all in mm -hmm. spanish and I, like, my spanish was kind of broken and shit but I ended up leaving, and I was like, on the streets of Madrid, like, where the fuck do I go? So yeah. I had to, like, call this, you know, I had to book a hotel, and the school helps me out and shit. But if I was in Europe, like, alone and shit hit the fan, as a 20-year-old, um, I think for a lot of kids, that'd be scary. So I appreciated the university, like, mm -hmm. kind of being, like, a backstop for safety reasons, but, mm -hmm. yeah. What did you, what, what, what did you find about Madrid itself? Did you like it? Did you... But what, what, what were your I thoughts on I loved it. I loved it. Um, I love Spain. So I started, I tweeted about this. I'm not sure if you've seen these tweets from a while ago, but I started taking Spanish classes when I was in like seventh, eighth grade mm -hmm. um, and through high school. And I was like, literally, I kid you not, my motivation was because I loved two things. One, girls who speak Spanish and like reggaeton, like Spanish music. Yeah. Um, so I was like, fuck it, I'm going to study in college and hopefully go abroad. So I ended up going to Madrid for mostly that reason. Um, Spanish women, self. Spanish women alone is not a bad reason. Yeah, no, I was a forward thinker when I was 12. I was like, all these cute girls, I, I live in like kind of a, 
uh, there's a big Latino population. So I was yeah. like, these cute girls speak Spanish. Like, I got to learn Spanish. So, <laughs> <laughs> for real. And then uh, Madrid is beautiful. I liked it a lot. Um, I had a great time. I think, like, the going out nightlife culture, there compared to, in my opinion, like, the Bay Area, San Francisco, Madrid is way fucking cool. And mm. I think people are just more laid back. Like, everyone... It shocks me how much people, like, drank and smoked during the day. Like, it was, like, a work day. People are out drinking at lunch, smoking cigarettes. And I'm like, dude, people in America are not doing this. Like, if you go around Chicago, well, I guess maybe. but <laughs> Maybe you know, Chicago. Maybe a little bit. But it's a more, in general, it's more laid-back culture. Yes. Like, yeah, I've noticed that, like, med, med life, you know? Like, I, I, do, you know uh, do you know Martin Ehrlich, the seal oil guy? I do, Yeah. Yeah. Like he'll he'll tell me about Croatia and whatnot, and just how how absolutely chill it is. Like how his his grandpa won't work for three years, and then he'll get a job that'll pay him for like like twenty years of living expenses, and then he'll just relax for a bit. <laughs> it's just like what is, what is this? Incredible. Yeah, I know. It's like, seems beautiful. I've not, I didn't go when I was in Europe. Yeah, he seems beautiful. He he said that if you go there, you can only visit because like. He's, he said even him, like, even he will have a, when he goes there, when he goes there in, uh, you know, whatever, end of the year to do his olive oil business, he will have a hard time uh, assimilating because he's Canadian, Canadian uh, Croatian, and not a, you know, like a born in Croatian croat. So he said, if you have no Croatian roots and you try to move there, you will suffer. It will not be a fun time. That's interesting. I did not know that. Like, you can't buy land. You can't, you know. Like, people treat you nice, but if you need to, like, if you want to, like, excel and, like, get deep in the get deep in it, they won't let you, which is very funny. That's interesting, but I'm not surprised it's such a pristine country now. They have really strict standards for who's allowed in, who can stay in. Yeah. Now it's probably pretty smart. Yeah, you got to have those standards. If you, so if you're just, like, taking a look at the map of Europe, right? And you could just like you know you're making you know you're making your 10k a month from selling your Gumroad ebooks and you're you're all chill, <laughs> right? Like all your all your little e-commerce dreams are chill, and you know your fidget spinners are drop shipping around the world and whatnot, and all that's fine. Like where would you plop your little house down? It's a very good question. Um, well, I would travel a lot, so I think it'd be like a, I'd be like nomadic in Europe mm-hmm. if I could. Um, I do like the south of Spain, like Andalusia. I liked Malaga a lot. It's a smaller city. Mm. I think it has like half a million people, but it's beautiful, low cost of living. It's on the beach. Um, like awesome plazas. Do I you like know, Madrid is also very cool. Wh- I live in Madrid. Where, uh, do you know where Dor- you, there's that Marabella place? That's where uh, Dorian Yates lives now. Yes. I never went there, actually. I know it's a big like party city. Though. People go there to like party and stuff. I did not go there. I uh I want to like I I've seen so many pictures of it. It looks absolutely beautiful. It looks like uh have you ever been to San Clemente in Southern California, Orange County? I have not. Okay, it looks like San Clemente. We're basically just like beautiful, like beautiful architecture, really close to the ocean, just greenery everywhere, and like I just absolutely I I see those pictures and it just makes me be like America is not the most beautiful country in its cities. In, in the in the towns and stuff, like a lot of it's lacking compared to Europe. Architecturally, absolutely. Yeah. It's not even close. Like the American continent is stunning. Like there's some like some some of the great like th- this country is so underrated in terms of what 
you know, the beauty that it holds in the national parks and the, you know, the expanses and whatnot, the mountain ranges and the rivers and lakes and all that stuff. But in terms of just the city architecture, no, it's a disaster. Yeah, I agree. We've tried to make everything as efficient as possible. There's no room for art like there is in Europe and other parts of the world. You know, I think it's kind of bland. Yeah. I mean, it's also newer buildings, too. We have, um, you know, our country's new and our industrialism only started like halfway through our country's life cycle. So, you know, we, we, we didn't have time to like build the, the stone brick human scale cities that Europe had. We were just like straight into cars, straight into right, yeah. brutalism, you know? They have so much more history there. Yeah. They do. Yeah. And there's only like, the, you know, there's some places in Boston and, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the Northeast areas that, you know, they still have, they still have some, some colonial era. Like I was even walking around Philadelphia with uh, Pat Stedman and there was, there was, there was a couple streets that were just like cobblestone, old brick buildings, like really cool, really cool stuff. Yeah, I love that about Philly. I love that feeling. All the founding fathers were there. Like that's like really historic mm-hmm. place to be. I like that. Yeah. Honestly, reading like I'm I'm reading a big book on American history right now, and I'm just like, you know, when I'm when I'm thinking back at all the places that you know when I go to, I know DC is like a dark energy portal and you know all that stuff. But even when you go there, you're like, this is cool. You know, this is cool. Yeah, well, all the history there, all the important people, all the history, it is cool. Yeah, yeah. Do you right now? So you being in Chicago and on, you live in the Bay Area, correct? Correct. I'm in Soy Francisco in that area. Why the hell would like every time I hear someone who's there who's not Soy, it's always job related. Is that is that why? It is job related. So here is the story. Okay. Um, like I said, I was working. I was working peak wage slave job back mm. in twenty nine, early twenty nineteen. Yeah. And I was like, I cannot be doing this. Mm. I didn't want to just take another job because I was like, it'll be more or less the same shit. I got to get out. So my my game plan, I kind of planned this out, was to just fly to Miami and start handing out resume. Mm. And I mean, at bars and stuff, like at rush, like a restaurant job, not like a corporate job. Um. So I knew I knew literally zero people down there mm-hmm. besides Lobo and I had DM'd a little bit. Yeah. So I called out of work and this was like in July or August of last year. Mm-hmm. Called out of work and said I'm sick, flew to Miami and I was looking at bars to, to bartend. And uh, Lobo had some connections down there and he was like, Hey, I can you know introduce you to people, whatever, he's been very helpful. Um, Good guy so Lobo. I was like, Fuck it. What? Good guy Lobo. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. And I was at a very low point in my life. I was like 21 years old. I was totally lost. I'm like, mm-hmm. dude, I'm fucking miserable. Um, you know, I was commuting two hours a day back and forth, working this shitty job. And my mind was in a very dark place. And I went down there for a weekend. We hung out. We went out a couple times. And it was like, you know, kind of like paradigm shifting to be around him. And he was in a very similar situation. He was my age, 22, mm-hmm. working a job, I believe, in New York. And he quit, went down there in a snowstorm up into Miami. Yeah, that's what he told um, me. Yeah. And it's interesting that his mindset was like, I just want to be around successful people. If I can get around successful people, you know, I know I have enough to bring to the table where, you know, someone will give me a job, someone will take me out of the wing, something will happen. And his story about Equinox, which he told you, is mm-hmm. an awesome story. 
And, you know, I connected with it deeply because my mindset was the same. I got to be around successful people. I was working, you know, with a bunch of quote unquote normies. And in my opinion, people that are basically losers. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I got I to gotta get around winners. Spent a weekend with uh, Lobo and my mindset kind of shifted. And I was like, okay, I'll work at a high-end bar in Miami. I can make this work. I'll do e-commerce. I can, you know, make enough money to live at least. Um, and then believe it or not, I tweeted about it. I was like, I quit my job. You know, it was making me miserable, blah, blah, blah. I got a DM from a guy I had known previously. I hadn't talked to him in a couple of years, but he was like, hey, bro, um, I know you just quit your job, but I have this opportunity out in California and it's working more or less exclusively with high net worth individuals. Mm-hmm. Is this something you would consider? So I was like, okay, maybe I don't go back in the corporate world. I ended up flying out there and uh, interviewing and it's a, it's a smaller company. Yeah. It's only 50 or 60 employees. I did not want to be like in a big Fortune 500 like monstrosity company where everyone's got cog in the machine. Everyone is uh, a number. Yeah, that's how it feels, man. So it was very personal. I like the people a lot. But you um, get such good benefits, you know, which is so good. You get the employee cafe. It's so nice. It's a lie. Yeah, it's all a lie to suck you in. So I'm, I, I may there. only make $60,000 a year, but I get a gym membership. <laughs> it's how they, they suck you in, man. People, you know, get hooked on like healthcare benefits and fucking yeah. Ks and stuff. They don't want to. They don't want to pay you. They don't want to pay you with money, so they entice you with things that are not money, instead of just giving you a higher salary. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, they're trying to cut costs and make things as efficient as possible on their end as well. So, to them, you're a liability as an employee, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I flew out there and I really liked it. It was a startup company, um, relatively new, and all, it's employee-owned. So all the employees had equity, so I knew how much of the company, like X percent, I would be basically owning. Oh, that's cool. And I was like, you know what, this is this is a way cooler opportunity than being in Miami bartending. You know, it sounds fun as fuck, but I was like, I can't turn this down. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing now. It's it's finance-related. Um, cool. And I really, it's, it's good people. It's cool. It's It's... You know, it's still like the grind. I'm working like 60 hour weeks and shit. So I'm not going to pretend like it's like I've made it and it's all, you know, rainbows and shit. But uh, for right now, it's, it's cool. I enjoy what I'm doing. Is it my long term plan to be in like the finance world, you know, doing these crazy weeks forever? Absolutely not. I would like no. to get back to Miami or Latin America uh, for the reasons I stated earlier, girls and culture, music. Yeah. So... I'm there right now, dude. California, like Silicon Valley area, for business connections is awesome. Um, I actually I met up with Do and Calicrities out there, and I think they're kind of in the same boat. I know Calicrities, he he hates <laughs> San Francisco because um, it's soy, dude. It's it's a soy city, and it's like run by liberals who you know make bad policies and stuff. So yeah. I don't think it's a great place to be. I was uh, um, long term. So I did a I did a documentary shoot with a prominent. Um, he, prominent Canadian, uh, it, you, you know Stephen Molyneux. Hell yeah! Okay, yeah. I did. Uh, I did a video. I did a documentary with Stephen Molyneux. Um, I just kind of assisted with it. Um, basically, just like but about the decline of California, and that's what I was shooting. And I, like, I think Stephen Molyneux is kind of whack now. He's just kind of weird. But the actual shoot was fun, um, because I gotta see like deep LA and I got to see deep San Francisco for the first time in my life. And I was blown away at, at San Francisco. 
I was I, I thought the homeless stuff was a lie. Like I didn't think that was a I didn't think that was as bad as it was. And then I get there and I'm like, it is as bad. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's crazy. It's crazy. You know, it is more or less quarantine to like the one area of Tenderloin. Uh, if you go to nicer neighborhoods, it's not so prevalent. Mm-hmm. But it is kind of a broken city, man. Do you think? Um, it- do, do you think that the people who live outside San Francisco who call it like one of the worst cities ever are? Th- is that some hyperbole you think from living in it, or is it really like one of the worst cities in America? Well, just quick disclaimer: I don't actually live in a city. I'm in the burbs. Oh, okay. So cool. I, I can't speak to living in the city itself. Gotcha. I've been there a decent amount. Um, I think it's definitely totally wrong. I get a I get a weird vibe in mm-hmm. San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It just kind of creeps me out. Yeah, the uh, energy is weird. It's a weird energy, man. I don't think I could live there. I, I think Chicago is better. Other than the weather sucks here. Uh, Miami is way better. I was um, the exact same way with the energy. I felt so strange walking around the city. So strange. Yeah, it's hard to explain, but it's kind of dark, I feel like. I don't know. It's it, it just me. It's like a very like angry energy throughout the whole city. You can feel it. You can definitely feel it. Yeah. It's, it's a weird demographic. Like, like weird characters. El- San Francisco. Uh, have you been to Los Angeles? I actually have not. I've lived oh. in California for almost a year, and I've been too fucking lazy to go south. Okay. Pathetic. Okay. Well, you should come down, brother. We should we should hang yeah, out. Yeah, I should. You should come, skip skip LA and come down to San Diego, and we'll hang out. But um, LA has a very different energy than San Francisco, even though, like policy wise, it's it's pretty much the same. LA's energy is much more. It's more like chaotic and fun in a sense. Like, that's how I describe it. San Francisco, it's like just dark and like creepy and you feel like the city is going to explode any minute like there's just a sense of impending doom but with with la it's like it's like it's like a ride the decline kind of feeling where it's like okay everything's chaotic everyone's on drugs let's just go let's go i feel like la is a really good time yeah it's it's fun to go there there. yeah it's fun to go there for bursts you know i go up there for networking and for you know doing doing a little bit doing a little bit of stuff but man it is the second i get back down i'm like whew, glad that's over <laughs> dude that's the way to do it is to pop in and out of big cities like i think living in a big city full time is not good for mental health no but if you no. can pop in party a little bit meet some people meet some girls get out that's perfect <laughs> go to the city get the city girl bring her bring her to the country <laughs> i think that's more or less the plan do you get a fucking compound where like some forests, some streams, you know, yeah. a couple of beautiful girls. That would be the dream. Mont- Montana. Montana and Wyoming. I think those are the future. That's the future right there. Montana, Wyoming. To get away. Montana, Wyoming, Utah, probably Colorado maybe. I don't know. But I think that's the future right there. Just making, making a compound next to some river with some women, some mates, relaxing, loving. I- yeah, man. I think people want to get out of the rat race of big cities. I think the work from home stuff is going to change things dramatically. You yeah. know, I think people want more quality of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we as a country just move so fucking fast, especially if you're in New York, Chicago, LA, any of these big cities. It's like go, go, go all the time. Mm-hmm. I think people are worn out. Dude. I think a lot of people want to change. Yeah, the, the hustle and bustle life is, it, it, it just grinds you down. It really just grinds you down. And I think, you know, deeper into the whole 
the whole entrepreneur culture. I think the hustle and grind culture itself is just, it, it, it's not, it's not healthy and it makes you like, I was talking to do about this and you probably, you, you probably kind of, you probably got this too, where you attach your values to what you produce rather than you, rather than what you, what you are as a person. Yeah. Yeah. Entrepreneur culture. I mean, I'm not that old, but I think it's taken a weird twist in recent years where everyone's like flexing the grind nonstop. Yeah. It's definitely unhealthy. It's like unhealthy what, for sure. Like what happened is just chilling and like, you know, help, helping people and, you know, keeping low, keeping low key. Like the big, I realized that the biggest guys on Twitter are the guys who flex the absolute least. Like you don't hear about them. They tweet every once in a while. They have a few hundred followers on a few thousand. Yeah, follower count really means nothing. I mean, there are yeah. accounts that have 10,000 followers that are amazing, accounts that have 1,000 followers that I think are not that good. Um, so it's really a case-by-case thing. And some people have messages that just, like, don't resonate with the masses. Mm. I know Lobo said that. He's like, dude, I could never get to 100,000 followers because I couldn't chill, you know, no offense to, like, Ed Lattimore, like, platitudes and shit like that, to get to that size. Like, he's too controversial. He's too opinionated to get that big of a following mm-hmm. um i think that applies to a lot of people and you don't want to have i mean unless you're selling shit and lobo's not uh, a lot of guys don't they just want to provide value to young men who are lost uh, they just want to get a group of killers they just want to recruit their yeah, just want to recruit their and network it, the thing is it works too i've met a bunch of guys on twitter um when i was in madrid miami chicago in california it's always been fucking great they're guys we can talk to about you know all the things we tweet about um, and it's funny, you know, the way I think of our Twitter space is like an online fraternity. Yeah. You know, there's a lot, there's tons of guys and people have different interests, you know, and some guys are into different things, but I think a lot of us are more or less on the same page, even though there are like, there's Twitter beef, people don't like each other. I think we're, we're still like, in terms of the, the broad society, we're our own little niche. Dude, freaking, yeah, Twitter, Twitter is high school, honestly, it, it, it is it is a college or a high school sort of thing because you have the clicks and you have the uh, you have the memes and the clicks and everyone's dunking on each other and like we're all we're all in this but we're all in the same domain right we're all in the same like university we're all in the same Twitter you know we're all in the same app it, right. it, it's pretty funny but I think it does translate over to real life and help people out a lot I know a lot of lives have been changed I can think of a couple guys Nate Dean. Who I tweet about his course a lot. Lobo. Is that Chronicles? Is that is that Chronicles of Nate? Chronic, yeah, Chronicles okay. Nate or Chronicles right. of Nate. Um, I've actually never met him in real life, but I've probably had a hundred phone calls with him. And he's a good friend of mine now. I can't yeah. wait to meet him. Dude, uh, there's countless examples like that. That's that's the funny thing. So, Do lives in my city, right? He lives in my town, and I've never met him, but we've had like fifty phone calls. And we keep trying to get we try we keep trying to get together and go have lunch, but he keeps having these like sales calls he has to do. Um, but it's really funny. He's a guy. Yeah, yeah, no, he is. It, it's funny how, um, you know, it's funny how you could just build these connections and then and then and then you meet them in real life, and you're like, wow, interesting people. Wow, like people that talk about the things that we talk about on Twitter all day. Wow, like there's more of us. It's fucking dope, man. There are accounts of people out there that you spiritually and like mentally vibe with before you meet them, and then you go meet them. Like, dude, I fucking like this guy. Yeah, you know? and every guy I've met on Twitter, I've had a great time with. 
and well, and and that, that that's what I love too is that Twitter. You can I, I I'm gonna say this is that Twitter is the best dating app because and I'm not talking about just like sexual dating, but like getting get, just getting people together, right? Because you're tweeting your deep thoughts, you're having banter, your people are seeing your vibe, people are seeing your content. And then it's not like a dating app where you have to put up a little fake profile and take little pictures and you know fuck around. Like people are just seeing you. Like, what are you talking about? What do you like to do? What do you? What is your content? What is your vibe? And then you know exactly who you want to hang out with. And then you can skip all the weird like trying to find people that you you connect with and are cool with. And then you realize they're kind of like dorks in a lot of areas, and you just don't want to hang out with them. And you can just like immediately meet with people that you'll vibe with. Yeah, you're totally correct. In many ways, you know, your Twitter post is, it's really you and people get to know you as a real person. Um, I think a lot of people, honestly, and maybe not just in our circle of Twitter, feel like their Twitter friends, maybe even know them on a different level than their real life friends because you can't talk about a lot of this shit with normal people. Conspiracy theories, you know, raw egg shit, weird fringe dietary um, preferences political leanings and shit like that so which is which um, is awful it's stupid but it's it is what it is a lot of people just don't care man so i think we a lot of us have found our little niche of people we can connect with and um we're all after the same kind of stuff money girls freedom quality of life doing meaningful work yeah philosophies esoterica all that good stuff absolutely absolutely Hunting, you know, and, uh, you know, making this big, net, making a big network is, I think it's, network is so much more important than a follower count, you know, that's what I've, that's what I'm tilting my focus towards. Business is done in the DMs, business is not done in the TL. Like, if, you're, if, you're, if your business is a TL-based business, you're not going to, you're, you're not going to last very long, but if you're a DM-based relationship business where you're working with, you're, you know, you're connecting with other high-level individuals consistently, that is how you're going to succeed. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the TL is a good way to advertise, I don't mean a product, but who you are. I've had guys who have like 100 followers reach out to me. I never would have seen their shit, but we've connected and they've ended up being far more successful than me mm-hmm. and kind of taken me under their wing. Yeah. Um, so and they saw my tweets and were like, hey man, I like what you have to say. Maybe we should grab a beer sometime. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that's a great way to get to know people based on what they're posting. Um, but yeah, it, it, you're right. It does go down in the DMs and connections are really made, real friendships and business opportunities. What I found too is that, like you said, like one of the guys that I've followed for a while, I'm not going to put his out here because he's very private, but and he, I think his account's even privated, so, you know, whatever. Um, but he's a German guy and... I like way back when I started Twitter, I used to follow it purely for like gaming news and to follow like esports and stuff like that. And I found him there, and I don't I don't know how we connected. Like it's just one of those things that just kind of happened. I just think I just messaged him and annoyed him too much. But he ba- he turned into like an absolute mentor, way more than he's he, he's shaped my psyche more than my parents have probably. See, it's those people you'd never expect. Yeah. There's some random guy on Twitter who ends up talking to you. You know, he starts teaching you a little bit. It's those connections that really change your life. Yeah, hugely. It's un- it's it's unreal. And, you know, like, those, the, that's, that's why this app is useful. 
It's not because of the, it's not, you know, I can make as much money as I want from here, but that one connection made this whole app useful. Made this, I'm, I'm forever grateful for that one connection to be made. And I think the end, the end game with Twitter, I think, is to amass enough people and get your life to the point where it's so good to where you don't need to log on to Twitter. You, you have all your friends, you know, in your WhatsApp, in your contacts. You don't need to keep tweeting to find them. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I do think Twitter for a lot of people is entertaining. It's like, it's like a smoke break. You know, I check Twitter <laughs> to relax sometimes. Yeah. You know, I like seeing what people are posting. Um, so I'd rather use that for entertainment than like some soy TV show. I'd rather just mindlessly scroll through the TL and see people's funny memes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also good for those purposes, not just necessarily connections, but it's, it's good entertainment. Uh, obviously, don't get sucked into the drama too much, but... Yeah, There's a lot of entertaining no. shit. And, you know, I like to hear what people in our sphere have to say about world events and mm-hmm. current happenings more than, you know, anybody else, really. Now, I'm not talking to my real life friends and stuff too often. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you, is your real life circle good or do you feel like kind of restricted with what you can talk about with them? Um, I would say it's good. There's There's been some overlap. I mean, when I initially got on Twitter, well, first of all, I never thought I'd have a significant following, mm-hmm. um, but that was years ago, but I wanted to keep it separate. Like I just, you know, I follow people. I don't bring in, you know, my real life friends. And then it's kind of happened where a lot of people that I know, mm-hmm. um, follow my Twitter, people that I've connected with on Twitter, I've met in real life. So now there's a lot of overlap between like, my Twitter friends and real life friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my circle is good. Um, I've got connections all over the place and I'm happy with the people that I do talk to about, things if i ever have problems in my life i've got people i can reach out to oh yeah so but in terms of like my buddies from high school and college um i think a lot of them are not interested in this kind of stuff i have a lot of smart friends and friends but maybe they're not into the kind of stuff that we are yeah yeah i mean that's just how it is you we just grow apart and they do their thing you do your thing but that's how it is now we got to wrap up this this cast pretty soon but i have one more thing that I'd like to talk about, and it's something I'm confused as hell about, and it's something that I think a lot of people are really interested in, and that's infinite banking. Infinite banking, yeah. And I saw you had a video with it. Can you, you know, for the good people listening to this, guys, can you give a summary on what the hell infinite banking is and how it's beneficial? Yes, infinite banking is, in short, a personal finance strategy that allows you to earn interest on money that you're spending normally. Okay. So that probably sounds complex or confusing, but mm-hmm. what me and Nate and other people do is we basically funnel money through whole life insurance. Okay. And why is that? And it all has to do the crux of the concept and the crux of my video mm-hmm. is that it's about the way it's collateralized. Okay. So I buy, for example, $10,000 worth of life insurance. I pay every year. I pay $10,000 a year. insurance. Okay. Most people, ordinary people, are thinking about life insurance like, okay, what if I die? I want my family to be taken care of. I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking, how can I maximize the amount of money in this insurance policy? Mm. Because the insurance policy grows, okay? On average, like you saw in the video, 4 to 5% a year. Mm. Okay, so is it great returns? No, but you think of it like a bank, okay? Now, the reason it's unique is because it's collateralized with your death benefit. Now, what do I mean by that? So say I put in $10,000. Mm. Okay, I immediately take out that $10,000 via a loan. 
Okay. So the insurance company actually gives me that $10,000 and it's not the original 10,000 I put in. The original 10,000 I put in is going to grow at roughly 4% a year. Mm-hmm. That $10,000 loan is coming from the death benefit. Okay. So they say, okay, you, you pay a premium every year mm-hmm. and we're going to guarantee you some death benefit when you die. Okay. Mm-hmm. But they're willing to loan me a certain amount of money from that death benefit while I'm still alive. So what does that allow me to do? It allows me to put in money, earn interest on it, and mm-hmm. still spend it. So the reason I say this is the perfect investment, this is so good, it's because you can couple it with any other investment. People who do real estate, people who in the traditional stocks and bonds, if you're into crypto. Mm-hmm. What I do is, and I'm doing this right now actually with crypto because I'm buying a lot of Bitcoin and I'm using it from whole life insurance loans. I funnel money through whole life insurance, I take it out via a loan, and I spend it on other assets, on expenses, whatever. What makes infinite banking different than ordinary life insurance policies? And a lot of misinformation about whole life insurance in general, mm-hmm. because whole life insurance, as it's traditionally sold, is a massive scam. And I'll give you concrete numbers to explain that. When I pay my $10,000 a year policy, mm-hmm. if I was buying strictly whole life insurance, mm-hmm. 100% of that money in year one would go to fees. So I pay $10,000. It all goes to fees. So the agent, my agent is Nate, and the insurance company would take all that money. Yeah. Okay. And there would be zero dollars that I could loan back to myself. What infinite banking does mm-hmm. is we say, okay, there's something called a paid up additions rider, which is a fancy insurance term, which just means instead of buying insurance, you're getting money into the investment part of the insurance. Okay. So it really has nothing to do with insurance. We're using this as an investment. Okay, the insurance part is just the way it's collateralized. And this is obviously kind of a complex concept. Which yeah, my mind is, is like, what, 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 right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's taking me. Well, so I heard this from Nate. I was like, dude, I don't understand this. I spent a lot of time researching it because it's it's kind of complex, especially if you're not familiar with what insurance. So, so like you said, like it's not really about insurance on your life. It's more of just it's kind of like hijacking that system to. You, to you know, to get to get an interest returns on, right? Correct, correct. It's all about the way it's collateralized. Okay, so and it's about the fact that it's a death benefit. And, and that and that's why you call it infinite banking and not you know insurance banking or something like that, because you're just using that that method. You're just using the insurance method to get the money, but you're not actually, you know, it it, it has nothing to do with like planning if you die or something like that. Well, that's an added benefit. I certainly like the fact that I have a lot of life insurance. So if something happens to me, my family's taken care of. Yeah. But I would not be doing this for the insurance itself. Huh. Um, so I put all the money, I mean, as much money as I can into life insurance policies. And I look back to myself. So can we do a, can, can you, can you run me through like a, an example? Say, let's, let's just use a very small amount. Say like I put in a hundred dollars to this policy in 20 at the end of 2020 right i pay 100 yeah, okay. bucks so then there's a there's a five five percent return you said four or five yeah it's, it depends on interest rates and what bonds are paying and other financial instruments but it's around four or five percent okay so and then so next year i have 105 correct no so here's uh, okay it's confusing okay. okay so there are there are fees up front okay so traditionally when you invest in stocks or bonds there's an expense on the AUM, on the total assets that you're investing. Mm-hmm. With insurance, all the fees are upfront, okay? Mm-hmm. So if you were to make an infinite banking policy, 
and you were to pay $100 at the end of this year, you would only have $60. So 40 of those dollars would go to the insurance company mm -hmm. slash your insurance agent. They okay. would split it roughly. Okay. okay. Versus if you were buying just an ordinary policy, 100% of that money would go to the insurance company okay. and the agent. The difference is that with the infinite banking policy, you're not getting very much life insurance. Why? Because we're not doing this for life insurance. We're, you know, jacking up the investment mm. portion and reducing the death benefit. Okay. Mm. Why is it $60? Well, there's a legal limit to how much you can put in the investment before it's not classified as life insurance. Oh, okay. So right. So that 60 number probably seemed arbitrary, but it's not. Um, some people go a little bit higher, but there is risk. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot, actually a lot of debate regarding what's the correct percentage to do. Mm -hmm. But we do, you know, on the conservative side, 60. Um, some people do 70, but we do 60. And what that does is it shortens the J curve. Okay. So people who do like real estate investments will understand this. A J curve, refer, you think about the letter J. Mm -hmm. If you invest in something, the first couple of years it's going down. You're actually losing money. Yeah. So these infinite banking policies, in the first four, five, six years, you're losing money mm -hmm. because you're paying these fees. Right. What happens is in year five, fees stop. Okay. So you put in $100 and you, $100 appears in the cash value of the account. Right. Okay. So what you can do now is you can take that $100, loan it back to yourself, and it's going to earn that 5% a year. Okay. That, okay. That part's, that part's confusing to me. So how do you, how do you loan something to yourself? Is it's it just all because of, yeah, it's all because of what that hundred dollars is buying. So you put in a hundred dollars mm -hmm. after year five, okay. fees are done. Okay. Okay. And you have say a million dollars in death benefit. Okay. Right. So the insurance company says, okay, we're going to keep that hundred dollars you paid us invested and it's going to grow normally just mm -hmm. fine. But because we have this million dollar payout to you in the future, we're willing to loan you that money now. Okay, so they'll give you a hundred dollars, and if you oh, were to die, okay. so you, you get, get a million minus a hundred. So you get okay. So yeah. So but if you're alive, you get a hundred now, and then you you keep that hundred inside that keeps getting interest, right? Correct. Oh. So yes. Ah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's. So it's it's all about the way it's brought. So it's about, about yeah yeah. So it's about building up that death benefit. So oh. Now the banking part comes together. Okay. Oh, that's legit. That is legit. Right, right. So you think about this, like I'll put in, you know, this year 30, 40, 50 grand. I'm paying a lot of that because I just started this la these last year. I'm paying mm. a lot of that in fees. Right. Okay, by year five, mm. say I'm putting in just for, you know, assumption 50 grand. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm not losing any money for fees anymore. Mm -hmm. So I'm funneling in the money one for one, taking it out. And it's still earning that five percent. Is this free money? No, it's not free money. It's just coming out of a future death benefit payout. Mm -hmm. So that's why it works. Uh, it's not a way to get rich quick, but it's a phenomenal long-term investment strategy. Yeah, like if you're going to be doing this anyway, like why not? You know. Exactly. Literally, the only downside is the fee. Yes. So you bite the bullet. You pay fees right now. And the way I'm doing it, rather than putting, you know, all my money in right now, I'm going to stagger these policies. So I'll add a policy every year, every whatever, to reduce the steepness of that J curve, of the fees. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah. So 
you know, if you have, if I have a million dollars in death benefit, or excuse me, in cash value, mm-hmm. and I have maybe $10 million in death benefit, it's some multiple in cash value. Yeah. Um, I'd be earning like 50 grand a year from interest, even if all of that money I've loaned back to myself. So that's why it's amazing. That's why I tweet about it a lot. Um, wow. It's, it's a tough concept to wrap your brain around. Yeah. It's, it's advertised really poorly for a couple of reasons. And I can explain it to people that are wondering. One is there were law changes in the 80s called MEC laws, Modified Endowment Contract, which basically made it a lot stricter um, regarding the terms of what you can put in. Because previously, people were just funneling money through these life insurance policies. Um, <laughs> you know, it was, quote, unquote, it was life insurance quotes, but it was really just a way to avoid taxes. And all this growth, by the way. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, huge, it's a huge deal. Why are you putting $10 million in, in, your, in your life insurance policy? I'm banking. What? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> the, the government was like, you can't do this anymore. So they shut it down. I mean, you can still do it. It's still good. I think it's still the best option for long-term, um, you know, outlook. But it's not as good as it used to be. Yeah. And, and then also, insurance companies don't really advertise this. Why? One is because infinite banking policies do not pay that much money. They pay, on average, two and a half times less in fees than traditional whole life insurance policies. So why would you sell it? Yeah, exactly. It's like offer. It's like the secret menu. It's like offered and they can make it, but they don't want to. And they don't advertise exactly. that they do. Exactly. Yeah. And it only works with, you know, certain insurance companies. Not every insurance company offers this. Right. Um, I won't get too technical for you, but there's a lot of nuance. Dude. The world of insurance. I used to work in insurance. Bro, just make so your own insurance company. Hustle and grind. <laughs> That's something I don't want to do. It sounds like a big headache. But I use <laughs> Nate and his partner, Brandon, and they're fantastic. Anyone who's listening to this, I recommend talking to them. Um... And they're happy to run the numbers with you, explain the concept. There's some really good books out there, too, yeah, that break it down. That but. sounds legit. That sounds legit, brother. Yeah, it's super cool, man. I, I spent a couple of months just, you know, diving into these, like, life insurance textbooks, literally. And my <laughs> friends were like, dude, are you okay? Like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> <laughs> See, like, like it, it sounds like a – it literally sounds like one, like one of those, like – pyramid scheme scams just like it sounds super scammy on superficially but once you break it down like i told it now i i understand it way more now it's kind of just gaming the system a bit and it's not really like super structured and like you know codified and all this stuff you're kind of like playing with a bunch of different pieces but if you work it together it's it's amazing returns it's absolutely gaming the system um i thought it was really scammy at first too dude when i first was to nate I was very much turned off. I thought he was kind of like an e-com or not an e- like a guru, Twitter guru type guy who was like showing some BS. Yeah, well, like, what is it? What yeah, is this guy yeah. I saw uh, he like he was affiliated with Chris Johnson. We know how that turned out. Um, right, right. And so every like, and if you notice too, this is kind of funny. Everybody that was affiliated with Chris Johnson just isn't now. Like everyone yeah. that everyone that was he doing me a long time ago, so I don't know what the fuck he posts. Everyone, everyone was doing like the Ridge Market stuff and all that, and then he just boop. boop. I, I don't, I don't work yeah. with who's Chris Johnson. Who's that guy? I don't right. know. Yeah, so I can't necessarily condone Nate's connection with him, and I don't really comment. But yeah, I can you know vouch for what Nate is doing, his practice. Um, he's a great guy to work with. Yeah, man. That, honestly, I just dropped him a follow today, and I was while I was watching your video on infinite banking. So, uh, definitely something I want to look into, and I, definitely something that I hope 
all the viewers look into. JP, do you have anything you'd like to end off on before we head out? Any words of wisdom, advice, musings, anything? I just want to say, first of all, say thanks to you for having me on the show. And everybody else, like, stay the course. I know this is kind of a crazy time in the world for everybody, and who knows how the future will be, but stay strong. Uh, build solid friendships and develop develop a firm foundation for yourself and your life. There we go. Boom, boom. JP, it was great having you here. And tune in. Oh, we're taking a break on Sunday, but we'll be back on Monday for a great week of Newcast on Art House. We'll talk to you guys later. Awesome. Thanks, man.